Well, my this is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Matthew Lysine. Matthew, are you ready to do this? I am. I am ready, George. How are you doing? I am doing great. Let's go. Matthew has been a reporter since 2001, spending 17 years with Bloomberg News. 2015, he began covering crypto, become an expert in the in the Ethereum blockchain world. He's the author of Out of the Ether and the co-founder of Decentral Media. Matthew, tell us a little about your personal lives, more about your work and why you do what you do. Yeah. Um so I uh, grew up here in California. Um, I'm in Los Angeles now, um, but uh, moved around for college and uh, lived in San Francisco for a while and then moved uh, to New York City in 2004 with my wife. Uh, that's where I got the job at Bloomberg News. Um, lived there for 13 years. Uh, had both of my my sons there were born in Manhattan, but uh, came back in 2017 just because we had had, uh, you know, 13 years is a long time in New York City. Um, and it's just it's kind of a tough place to live, uh, especially with children if you're not like a multimillionaire. So back in L.A., really liking it. It's my hometown. Um, just more my vibe. I'm, I'm definitely not kind of the A-type personality that I think thrives in Manhattan. Um, but uh, in so, yeah, so in 2015, 15, I, uh, so I had been covering wall street for Bloomberg news and kind of like how markets work and, you know, it's called market structure was the name of the beat. So it's like, uh, are markets working? Are they not working? Uh, what's, what's our regulators trying to like, you know, change the way markets operate as their, uh, scams and fraud and stuff like that. So I'd gotten a pretty good understanding of like the derivatives market and, um, the bond market. Um, and so when, excuse me, when crypto kind of came, it was already around of course, but it sort of like came back onto my radar in 2015 because wall street was starting to kind of experiment with it. And I finally kind of wrapped my head around what the blockchain aspect of this technology is. And really it's kind of a simple concept. It's just a, you know, it's a network of computers that is basically spread around the world. That's peer to peer and it's pretty much unstoppable uh, from a government or corporation kind of level. I realized that that's pretty much kind of the same basic architecture of what Wall Street is. It's, it's just a network, you know, it's, it's banks, it's their customers like asset managers and hedge funds, pensions, you know, all sorts of folks that are just in a big network. They're trading, you know, trillions of dollars amongst themselves uh, throughout the year. And if they could kind of adopt the efficiencies that were gained in a blockchain network um, in their own networks, uh, I thought, man, that could really, you know, save them hundreds of millions of dollars probably a year in um, just like in, in speeding up trades, for example, in a very simple uh, case. So that kind of sparked my uh, interest and I started covering it and, um, you know, it's just kind of grown from there. And, and within a couple of years, by 2017, you might recall, uh, that's when kind of I think Bitcoin sort of broke through to the public consciousness um, in a big way because it hit $20,000 for the first time. Um, <clears throat> everyone, you know, Thanksgiving, I remember in 2017, it was, everyone was talking about crypto for the first time. So it was, it was a little crazy. I, I feel like I got in a little bit early on it, but that's certainly not as early as, um, you know, other reporters out there, but it's just a fascinating story. And I think something, uh, that is changing the world and, you know, has the potential to do a lot of amazing stuff. Um, of course there's the downsides to it as well. People have lost a lot of money and there's a lot of scams, but I think that's kind of par for the course when you've got any sort of asset class out there that you're talking about or any kind of market at all. So 
Yeah, it's been a wild ride, and uh, I decided to start, start Decentral Media last year because I wanted to focus kind of more exclusively on the people who are making all this stuff happen. I think they're really interesting, um, pretty weird, smart, um, and for the most part, pretty good people, you know? So um, my partner and I started Decentral, and we're kind of focusing on those folks and just trying to trying to tell the stories, like make this industry a little more human rather than always talking about the technology you know we really want to bring the people to the front so that's that's what the central is all about nice yeah it's really interesting when we think about the financial markets sort of the traditional stock market is there are are there people that 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 we think about and i don't necessarily think that there are um and within crypto it's not necessarily in its infancy but probably still kind of in its infancy and there are people and characters that we can look to and does that make it better just it it it, it humanizes it <laughs> yeah yeah i think it does um and i think it's a nice way i think some people can be put off by it, by they think that it's complicated and that it's you know very hard to understand and i think some mainstream media kind of portray it that way because maybe they don't quite understand it but so and i think that gets through to people and it's sort of it, it's off-putting so if if my approach is i want to tell you a story about a really interesting person and i want to make this person like three-dimensional to you and along the way i'm going to tell you what they're doing in crypto or in web3 and i think if you tell somebody an interesting story and you introduce them to a really fascinating person i think that it just makes the learning easier and it's then you can start talking about okay what's an nft or what's a decentralized exchange or what is it actually mean to be peer-to-peer -peer, you know so those things i think come across more easily uh in the context of like a person you know and you're telling their story and they, they can kind of explain it in their own words yeah that's it's interesting narrative does make it more accessible to us yeah and then obviously we we run the risk of the same Sam Bankman-Frieds and the Elizabeth Holmeses of the world. Obviously, Elizabeth Holmes is not involved with crypto. Yeah. But if you look at the history of the stock market and just traditional financial markets, they're littered with fraud and bad actors as well. Um, how do you think about the the Sam Bankman-Fried, the whole FTX in the context of the greater industry? Yeah, I think... Um... I think it was quite shocking because I think he had sort of uh, created quite an impression among, uh, you know, among regulators and, and politicians and among charitable giving, um, you know, the, the charitable giving world that, you know, this guy was really kind of on the up and up and he was a good person and he was into, you know, uh, intrinsic altruism and, you know, you can go like you watch baseball, there's the FTX logo on, you know, the umpire's jersey uh, or their, you know, uh, what, what the, the shield that they wear, you know, um, so it was kind of everywhere and what i try to tell people is um you know the whole point of crypto and bitcoin to, to begin with was giving people more control over their finances and their their money and so you if you want to you really should embrace that because that's what the, the best what's where the best of it comes uh, out in my opinion and if you rely on a centralized place like an exchange like ftx to hold your crypto you're running the risk that they're going to be fraudulent and it's happened over and over again basically from the beginning of crypto when mount gox went, went down um, in early 2013 there have been a number of exchanges that have all gone the same way 
And I, I just don't understand why people don't learn the lesson. Like, yes, use an exchange to go and buy and sell things, but then you got to, you know, you really need to store your crypto um, in your own wallet. You need to take custody of it because that's really what this technology is all about. You're in control. You don't have the option of a hacker getting into a, an exchange or a fraud like Bankman Freed, you know, kind of like pissing away all of your money. You need to take control of it. So I think it's a tough lesson to learn. And, and I've been covering this now for seven years and it's just happened over and over again. And I'm, I really try as much as possible to tell people, you know, don't leave your money in someone else's hands. Like, you know, so again, it's, it's I know a lot of people lost a lot of money and, and I, I would never be the person to say, I told you so, but that that is kind of one of the general rules here is like, get your own wallet, get comfortable with it and make sure that you're protecting what you, what you own because you know, a lot of people made a lot of money um, in recent bull markets uh, in crypto. And, you know, a lot of that's probably all gone now because they left it on FTX. So it's kind of a shame. And I wish um, I wish that the centralized actors, you know, in this industry were just um, more responsible and, and more on the up and up. How do you see or how do you think about regulation in the space? I think um, it's definitely um, it's been a, a very mixed bag so far. I think the SEC is not doing a good job um, of letting people know what is okay and what's not okay. Um, they've been doing something called um, regulation through enforcement action. So basically, they'll find some bad actor out there doing something like selling an unregistered security, you know, in their opinion. And so they'll sue them and they'll, they'll like go through an enforcement action and then kind of make up the rule. Not They're not making them up, but they're sort of enforcing the rules through um, these these actions. And so it, then the rest of the industry is um, supposed to pay attention to that and, and like think like, oh, are we selling unregistered securities too? We might want to stop that. The problem with that is it's, you know, it's rather case specific about who's getting sued and, and settling with the, the SEC. And, you know, maybe your project is a little bit different and you're not sure like, oh, am I, is this going to get me in trouble or not? And you don't have a way of knowing. Um, what I would much rather see is Congress getting involved and writing some new legislation to uh, regulate this market because the legislation being used now um, in the SEC's case, um, you know, dates back to the 1940s. Uh, it was about a guy selling um, shares in, in orange groves in Florida. Um, and whether, you know, he was securitizing that, that real estate, it's called the Howey test. And today in crypto, you, you might be dealing uh, as a counterparty with a smart contract with a piece of code. And there's all these new things that have developed and it's really kind of left the law in the dust. So I think Congress needs to, to really get involved and start writing new rules that take into account, um, you know, like what's a smart contract and who's, who's, you know, who's responsible for that if something goes wrong. And, you know, there's just a ton of questions that aren't being answered right now. So that's my hope. It's definitely going to be regulated. There's no way they're going to leave this alone. And, and it is regulated, you know, in a lot of places. So including the United States, but again, I think it really needs to be um, the, the kind of basic framework needs to be updated to the 21st century. It's interesting. Do you have a sense um, how many governmental agencies are 
are responsible or work around the traditional stock market. You have mentioned the SEC, you've got organizations like FINRA. Um, do you have a sense of roughly just how are, are there five? Are there a dozen um, in the stock market or in crypto? In the stock market. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, let's see. Yeah, the SEC is there. Um, there's, I mean, tangentially, there's like the OCC, which regulates banks. Um, there's the FDIC. Mm. Well, you know, I think, well, yeah, if, if stock market in particular, it's really the SEC's job. Like that's their main, you know, that's their, that, that's the main regulator. Um, and then, I, so yeah, I, I think, and then on the futures or the derivative side, you've got the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, and then you've got, I think, tangential uh, regulators that kind of touch it. But yeah, when you're talking about stocks, it's really the SEC. Yeah, got it. And it, what also sort of jumped into my head as as you're talking about these um, enforcement actions, like we're all familiar with the Internal Revenue Code, how it's 7,000 pages, give or take, and but there's like 80,000 pages of case law that are constantly being adjudicated. Um, is that a fair parallel to what they're sort of doing right now instead of actually writing the making laws, which is what Congress legislators should be doing? It's the SEC out there just having enforcement and then that sort of de facto becomes our 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 law yeah yeah i think i think that is a fair comparison i mean i don't think it's eighty thousand pages of case law and crypto um you know but i think another thing that's going on right now is gary gensler is the chairman at the sec and he said repeatedly in public that he thinks they have all the tools they need they don't need congressional you know any congressional updates to um to do what he's doing in crypto um, I, I think that's a mistake. I think I think he's probably worried that if Congress starts writing laws, you know, it it might limit some of the abilities that the SEC has or it might take away some of the power that they have. Because there's always, um, you know, just like in any industry, there are power grabs in Washington um, by regulatory agencies like the SEC and the CFTC often compete in certain areas and they kind of have their own little fiefdoms of, of different Congress people who are, you know, running the committees that oversee each of those agencies. And it's, you know, it's, it's just kind of like gets down to kind of base level politics at some point. So there is always a worry, I think at these agencies that they're going to lose some of that turf or they're going to lose some of their um, uh, ability to, to regulate things. And so it's, it, it's kind of, that's where it gets kind of messy and human. Yeah. Interesting. Do you feel like, do you, do you think slash feel like there should be its own uh, a, a, a new or independent entity aside from the SEC who's responsible for assuming if if we could map out in um, an appropriate way forward, it would be the legislator creating a law and then based on that or laws do you think that it should fall under the purview of the sec or do you think it's wiser or more prudent to create a new organization yeah, no i think um i think the existing agencies can do a good job of it if they had updated rules um and and sort of frameworks so because i do think a lot of what's created in crypto sure looks like a security to me you know if you're hoping that it's going to you know gain in value or that you're getting some kind of um, monetary reward for investing in it if it's controlled by a certain number of people who are you know trying to make it go up in value you know these are some of the the basic definitions of what a security is and there's a 
a list of like five or six things. A lot of a lot of the things created in crypto, I think, check all of those boxes. So I don't think the SEC is out of its boundaries here, but I do think, like I've been saying, it's just a new like rule book needs to be written. So I think the SEC could definitely handle the things that kind of brush up against the securities laws. And then the, the CFTC should, I think, be um, regulating the parts of the crypto market that are based on derivatives like Bitcoin futures, which they already do, or Ethereum futures um, or any kind of derivative product. So I think we've got you know the agencies and I think that their boundaries are good as they as they exist today. Uh, I just think that there needs to be an update uh, to the legislation. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So from your background and, and, and experience, you know, 17 years with Bloomberg, working in Wall Street in Manhattan, covering all of that, and now your passion for uh for for crypto what is what is the purpose the of 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 legislation is it to protect consumers protect investors um yeah definitely both of those things and um <clears throat> it's also um you know we want to remain competitive we like to have this industry be um mostly or you know we want to have the United States be a, a good place for this industry to be um, headquartered, right? And so you need to have that clarity because a lot of the companies I write about, they say to me over and over, you know, we want to follow the rules and we will follow the rules. We just don't know what they are, you know, and that's the problem. So if the United States falls behind in that, the, a lot of these companies can go to Europe or they can go to Asia or they can go offshore. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a reason that FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried were based in the Bahamas. Um, you know, they were doing stuff um, right off the bat that w probably, you know, would not have been allowed in the United States. So it, it you don't want to have this kind of um, regulation arbitrage where you can go to the Bahamas. And like, so I think different parts of the world need to coordinate so that the set of rules that uh, doesn't drastically change, you know, I know that's uh, asking a lot, but in the traditional financial world, it, it's pretty much worked. And you kind of get a sense from a company if like today, if like a, a company that's trying to be reputable is based in some location where, you know, it's kind of like there are no rules, you know, you get, it, it's a signal, right? So I think it, it self-regulates a little bit in that way. So yeah, it's, it's to protect people. Um, it's, it's to have transparency into these operations. So if someone says, They've got, you know, $40 billion in assets on their balance sheet. It's actually real. And it's not this like FTT coin that was created and sort of has a very ephemeral value and that can crash, you know, to zero in, in a matter of hours, as we saw. Um, and it's to just create a good um, overall environment for, for this uh, industry to grow, like in the United States and in other parts of the world. That makes a ton of sense. Do you see that there is an appetite? on in Washington for for doing this um I, I it, that's a challenge I think um, the, the challenge is, is educating Congress uh, people in Congress on this issue because you know let's be honest a lot of people in Congress are, are older and they might not you know be as familiar with this technology as, as they could be and explaining it and and kind of getting through 
um, as to why it's important and and why it's an innovation is is it can be a challenge. Um, and I know there are a lot of groups that have come up uh, in in recent years to to do that to lobby and to educate um, the folks in Washington on this industry. Yeah, so. And I think there are certain leaders out there uh, that, that are doing this um, in Congress already. Uh, it's so that, that those numbers are growing. Um, I, and then on the other hand, you've got folks who only see the scams and only see it like the FTXs of the world and, and think that it's all kind of like this wild west that needs to be um, regulated out of existence. So, you know, that's the other spectrum here. So um, I think, uh, as this industry grows and as it matures, um, it, it, more people in Washington will get it that it's not going away. I, I don't believe it's going away. It's here to stay. And um, I think, yeah, so just it, it's kind of a slow, painful process, but, uh, but education um, is the is the best way to do it at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, as they always do, Matthew, I'm sure that they'll act prudently and with a lot of wisdom. So, <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll Matt, take, thank you so I'll much for coming under on that one. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they check out Decentral Media and where can they get a copy of Out of the Ether? Yeah. Thank you for having me, George. Um, yeah. The website is Decentral.io. That's D-E-C-E-N-T-I-A-L.io. We are on Twitter at Decentral Media. Um, the book you can find anywhere online that you get books. Um if you want one of the special editions, there were only a thousand printed, and they are, um, they they are. Uh, you can mint an NFT that represents the book. Um, you can look that up at outoftheether.net. Um, and let's see, yeah, that's about it. So, um, I really enjoyed talking to you, George. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Matthew your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out Decential Media at D-E-C-E-N-T-I-A-L dot I-O. Find them on Twitter as well under Decential Media. And then pick up a copy of Out of the Ether wherever you buy your books or and or go to outoftheether.net and pick up the NFT version of it. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.